podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast on Friday, August 28th. I'm David Hendrick, and this podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out their services at LibertyShield.com. It's Friday. It's time to be happy. The weekend is upon us, and uh, the Charity Shield, or the Community Shield as it's known, is this weekend, so that will give us the official start of the football calendar in England, Liverpool to face Arsenal. It does look like Liverpool will play a strong team as they have been in their pre-season friendlies so far. Remains to be seen what Arsenal will do, but um, should be a, a, quite a strong Liverpool team and quite a good game. One to keep an eye on on Saturday. Things on the television include Harry Maguire's recent interview with the BBC, uh, and that's where I think we'll start today. Maguire claims that he feared for his life, that he thought he, him and his friends were being kidnapped, or that he thought his sister was being kidnapped. Uh, it wasn't really made clear in, in, in the way he, he said it, but he did seem genuine. Now, a lot of people have said, oh, but he kept looking at the floor. He wouldn't look at the, the interviewer in the eye that's just harry Maguire. if you see him being interviewed after games he doesn't make eye contact with people he's quite a shy individual by all accounts he does look at the floor um i i don't i don't know obviously what happened i wasn't there none of us were there so we can only take harry Maguire at his word um he has appealed his conviction and because of the way the Greek legal system works, that conviction is now thrown out and he goes forward and has a new trial in front of a more senior court. Um, he's doing this obviously to try and clear his name. Now the Manchester United statement saying that it means he has none, none of this and none of that, and none of the other thing. That's not really what matters here. United's PR on this has been quite poor. Um, the court of public opinion has deemed Maguire guilty and convicted, and, and always will. That will follow him now forever, no matter what happens. But he will go through another court case, and there's a big, big risk here, because the 21-month suspended sentence that he got the last time, that's also thrown out. If he's found guilty a second time, and the fact that he's gone through the courts, they may look at it and say, okay, it's prison time this time. Now, his story is obviously very, very different to the story told by the police. We don't know who to believe. Only a handful of people were there. I will say that if his sister was injected with some sort of drug that made her pass out or made her eyes start to roll in the back of her head. In that case, surely the sister has been to a hospital and had a drug test done to show what's in her system. Surely that's something that has been done. His his solicitors have to have at least gotten that done. Because if that's done, then you're halfway to proving your story. If it's not done... He could be in big trouble. And as I say, I have no reason not to believe what he says. He seemed genuine in the interview with Dan Rowan on BBC. But he's got a long way to go to clear his name. I didn't like the way he said he didn't owe anybody an apology. I think he does. I think he owes Manchester United an apology. Because he's gotten involved in something. 
and he has tarnished the reputation of the club at this time. I would question why he was in Greece. And I, I don't want to hear that the players are entitled to go away on a holiday. Why are they entitled to go away on a holiday? Me and you aren't entitled to go away on a holiday. We've been stuck in the house for months. We haven't been entitled to go on a holiday. He's also chosen to go to Greece at a time where they're experiencing the highest numbers of coronavirus cases. His teammate Paul Pogba has just been found positive for coronavirus. Harry Maguire should not have been in Greece. None of these players should have been anywhere except at home or on training camp. The pictures of Maguire, the video footage of him from the day before, shows him surrounded by people. No masks, no social distancing. That's a terrible example to set. And Maguire does owe an apology for that as well. For the bad example that he has set by going and congregating in large groups, not wearing a mask, not social distancing. Clearly not all people he knew as well, because some of them were asking him for selfies and things like that. Without more responsible behavior, we won't get past this. It's that type of behavior that will lead to no fans all of next season. We see constant criticism of the UK beaches, the Irish beaches, the Irish pubs, the UK bars. It doesn't help when sportsmen, high-profile sportsmen, are going abroad and behaving in that same way. Again, I think he's getting a little bit of an easy ride on things, but perhaps he deserves it. Perhaps he deserves it based on the circumstance of what happened to him and his sister in Greece. Um, I'd be interested to hear from other people who were there in, in his group. I would genuinely be interested. The allegation that he said, do you know who I am? I'm the captain of Manchester United. I believe he said that. But I believe he might have said that in panic, not as an attempt to bribe, but maybe as an attempt to pay some sort of ransom up front before, you know, a kidnapping he may have believed was about to take place. I don't think he's fully thinking straight at the moment either. Because one way or another, what he's been through has been traumatic. Either he's been through what he perceived as a kidnapping or he, you know, he's been through a fight with police. Either way, he was in prison. And I don't know that a Greek prison would be the nicest place for an English person to be. Um, I don't imagine Mr. Maguire speaks the Greek language. I don't know that a huge population of Greek people speak English at a level where they converse with Maguire. So it was likely a lonely few days for him. Um, it's a story that will continue to run, and we don't know how long it will run for. Some have suggested it could take up to three years to get through the, the higher courts. Um, that's going to be a massive distraction for Maguire leading up to this season, through this season. It's something United are going to have to think heavily about. As I've said, I think he should be stripped of the captaincy. One way or another, he found himself in prison. I think he should be stripped of the captaincy. Um, we'll move on from there. Uh, big transfer news this morning. Crystal Palace announced the signing of Eberichi Easy from QPR for about £16 million. Pounds. Uh, a signing I'm very much in favour of. I think this is the most exciting thing to happen to Crystal Palace since Zaha came back uh, from United. I think they've done remarkably well to get him, given the interest in him. There was a number of other clubs, a number of bigger clubs and a number of clubs with greater finances who were interested in him. And I, I feel like he could start for most teams in the Premier League. 
maybe not the top six, obviously, but most outside of that. I mean, you look at Leicester, he could start for Leicester. You shift Harvey Barnes to the right-hand side and play him off the left. I think that would have been a really nice fit. I think he could have done a job for Wolves, playing on the left of their front three, Adama, Jimenez and him. I think that would be really, really good. You'd have a little bit of everything in that that trio. So he, but he'll go to Palace. And it, this is one Palace fans should be really excited about. And for the first time in quite a while, I'm very excited about what Palace are doing this summer. Uh, they brought in Nathan Ferguson from West Brom. And now they're bringing in Easy. Now, I know they tried to bring in Ferguson in January. And obviously that deal fell through because of issues with his knee. Uh, he joins them still carrying some injuries. But he's 20 years of age. He's an elite prospect defensively. He's very much in that Juan Bissaka could be a great defender, won't ever be much more than average going forward kind of mold. Doesn't have Juan Bissaka's elite athleticism, doesn't have his pace, but I think he's a smarter player. I think he reads the game a little bit better. Uh, I think he's got a better understanding of his position. Now, he's more of a natural defender than Juan Bissaka, who got moved back only, what, three years ago. So I think. I think Ferguson, once he gets into the team, will establish himself. And I think he's going to become a big player for Palace. I think if you look at last season, it was largely Joel Ward and Martin Kelly playing there. Martin Kelly's not really a right back. He never really was. The guy's six foot three. Rafa Benitez used him there when he was young and in truth ruined him because he got so many injuries. Um, Martin Kelly should have played central defence for a, a top six club his whole career. He had so much talent as a young player. But those injuries he he got playing right back under Benitez, they they hampered his development. Um, he's had a good career, without question. I wonder how much longer he'll stay at Palace. He's out of contract next year. And they have a lot of centre-backs there and a lot of older centre-backs there who could maybe do it being moved on. And replaced with some fresh blood. I have an article uh, coming out on EPL Index in the next couple of days about Crystal Palace and about the makeup of their squad and how it's time for some turnover. Um, but Eze is their second summer signing, and, and it's a really, really good one. And it's exciting to think of what him and Zaha could do together if Zaha stays. The question is, will Zaha stay? you look around the Premier League and it's hard to see a proper fit for him. If you look at the top six or the big six, Chelsea won't have need for him. They have Pulisic on the left. Zayic, you'd imagine, will now play on the right. Manchester United don't have need for him, although they could maybe do with him and play him on the right-hand side um, since they look like they've failed to do anything with Jadon Sancho. But I don't know that he'd be willing to go back there. Arsenal don't need him. They're loaded in attack. Spurs are the same. I don't see him playing under Pep Guardiola. I don't think he's that type. I think he's a little bit too individualistic. And at Liverpool, I mean, he'd be a fine fourth attacker. But is he willing to go and do that at this point in his career, in the middle of his prime? go and not start every game, just be a a squad player. I don't think he will be. So, below that, you've got Leicester, you've got Wolves, you've got Everton, West Ham, Villa. They're all kind of I mean, I don't know that any of them are a step up from Palace. Certainly at the moment, Leicester and Wolves are, from a playing point of view, but from from the, the point of view of putting him on a bigger stage, I don't think they are. I mean, they might get Europa League football. And he could be very, very good for both. Now, him and Adama might be a little bit too much... Uh, dribbling and and ball hogging, but it might work. 
at Leicester he could play on the right or the left. It could work. It could work under Brendan Rodgers. Probably the preference would be to play him on the left and again move Barnes like you would with Eatsy. And Barnes could play tucked in and allow Ricardo Pereira to, to overlap. But I don't know. Zaha's, Zaha doesn't strike me as the type who would go to Leicester and that would be him comfortable and happy. I just wonder if maybe he's better off staying at Crystal Palace. Maybe just becoming, you know, the ultimate big fish in a small pond. Him and Itzi could be great together. And if they can get a, a striker in to, to complement the two of them and finish off the chances those two will create, it could really benefit Palace. They need to sort out their attack. They need to get more goals in the team. In the entire history of the Premier League, only 23 teams, not counting Palace, have scored that few goals or less. Only six of them have ever stayed up. And only two of them managed to stay in the league more than two seasons after that. The rest, the other four, either went down the next year or the year after. So Palace need to sort their attack out. Defensively, they're fine. They could do it getting a bit younger. So maybe bring in some, you know, some squad players that you can develop. Same thing in midfield. You've got plenty of bodies. You've got a decent amount of quality. You've got reliability, but you need to get younger. And that's their the team for their whole squad is you need to get younger. Their average age last season of their most used 11 was over 30, and that's not sustainable. Their manager's also 73, and that's not sustainable either. Um, and it is on the manager that I want to move on to... Uh, to my next thing for today. So it's Friday. It's the fifth day of the week. It's my fifth show. And what I thought I'd do is I'd do a top five. And I might do this moving forward through the season. I'll see. But a top five on a specific topic. And today, the topic is the top five managers who could find themselves on the hot seat this coming season. There'll be a couple of obvious ones. And maybe a couple of not so obvious ones. And these aren't in order before people start to complain. But the first one I'll go with is the guy I've just mentioned, that 73-year-old at Crystal Palace, Roy Hodgson. Now, he's going into the last year of his contract. And there doesn't seem to have been much in the way of negotiations about an extension. In Hodgson's three seasons there, they finished 11th, 12th, and 14th. And you might look at it and think, oh, 14th is pretty good. But then look at their actual results. And over their last 19 games last season, so half their year, they took 17 points. Over the course of the season, that's 34 points, which would have got them relegated last year because they just can't score goals. 31 goals in the league last year, and two of them were own goals. And it's not just 31 goals in the league, it's 31 goals in all competitions because they went out of both cups without scoring a goal. Now you look at Hodgson and what he does, and it's admirable to a point, but at some point you have to want more than what Roy Hodgson will offer you. Roy Hodgson will, will keep you up. He will give you safety, Premier League safety. And Palace are entering their eighth season in the Premier League, which is by far their longest spell in the top flight of English football. Their last longest spell was four years, which ended at the end of the first season of the Premier League when they were relegated. They've always been traditionally a second division club or a second league club. But they've established themselves now over the last eight years. And and Hodgson has played a a massive part in that in recent years. But at some point, they have to want to be more. They can't just be happy with... I mean, when you play 38 league games and score 31 goals, and two of them are own goals, you don't have a single game where you don't score more than two goals. Or where you... Sorry, you don't have a single game where you score more than two goals. 
I mean, that can't be exciting to watch. It just can't. Entering the last year of his contract, coming off that terrible run of form, 73 years of age, I wonder if things start to go badly. Might they look at it and go, well, we don't have to pay him out a whole lot. He's at a contract at the end of the year. Let's just move off of Hodgson and go in a different direction now. Um, I think Hodgson could be in trouble. I do. I mean, seven defeats in a row in the, and then one draw for their last eight games. Seven defeats in a row. If that had happened in a normal season, that would be cause for the sack. It's not like they even put up a fight in most of those games. It was genuinely terrible. The next one then is Slavin Bilic uh, at West Bromwich Albion. Newly promoted to the Premier League, having finished second in the Championship last season. But one of the the promoted clubs is in all likelihood going to change manager next season. None of them did last year, obviously. Um, two of the teams survived and Norwich went down. But in all likelihood, one of them will this year. One of them will change manager at some point. And when you look across the three, there's no chance Leeds will part ways with Bielsa unless it's on his terms. I don't know that the Fulham ownership would part ways with Scott Parker, given he's their guy. But when you look at West Brom's history, especially in recent years, and look how much turnover they've had with managers. The last time they were promoted to the Premier League, which was in 2010, when they also came up having finished second in the Championship, by the February of the fir- of their first season back, Roberto Di Matteo was out the door, replaced by Roy Hodgson. And if West Brom start badly or we get to Christmas time and they're in a lot of trouble, it would really not surprise me to see Billich go. Because I think the ownership there, they don't shy away from making tough decisions. I mean, look at the situation where they sacked Darren Moore. Look at the situation where they sacked Alan Pardew after only 21 games. Um, they sacked Pulis in, a no- in November, so they weren't hanging around there. Alan Irvine went in a December, so again, not hanging around. Steve Clark went in December. And Di Matteo in a February. So that they don't wait till the end of the season. They will make their move mid-season. That is who they are as a club. So if Billich struggles, if West Brom are stagnant and not performing and relegation becomes a distinct possibility, look for Slavin Billich's name to get linked with, uh, with a departure. I hope it doesn't happen because I'm a fan of Slavin Bilic. Um, I, I liked him as a player. I really like him as a manager. I think he was harshly treated at, at West Ham. I think he's done a great job there. I hope he sticks with it. And I hope they stick with him. But it wouldn't surprise me if uh, if he was one who became um, became a casualty of the need for Premier League success or Premier League stability. Up next then is Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, and some people might not like this one, but I think when you're man- manager of Manchester United and your name's not Sir Alex Ferguson, I think you're always going to find yourself with a lot of pressure. Mourinho finished second, was binned off the following December after a bad run. Louis van Hal had done well and was binned off. Oli got the job as a caretaker and then it took them over three months to give him the job after, the, you know, despite the fact he'd done uh, really, really well as a caretaker. Now, he got third this past season, but let's just, let's just pump the brakes on that one a little bit. He got third with the same amount of points that he finished sixth with the year before. So the same amount of points in 1819 that got you sixth, got you third 
1920. That says to me you didn't improve. The league got worse. That's my view on it. The league got worse. And it did. Spurs got worse. Arsenal got worse. Chelsea got worse. Manchester City got worse. They still finished above you. But those three teams, Chelsea, Spurs and Arsenal, all got measurably worse, especially the two North London clubs. United stagnated. But because the rest of them got worse, United were able to overtake them. So for me, I look at United's season last year, and I think, yes, they did well to get top four, but they got top four because the league got worse. The the three teams that many people expected to challenge for third and fourth all got worse. Two of them were had disastrous seasons where they both changed manager mid-year. I think we all kind of thought Arsenal were on the verge of a collapse. The Spurs one was really surprising. But I don't know that Oli will get a whole lot of time. They don't seem to be as keen to back him this year as they were last year. Now, he spent $200 million over last season on Maguire, Juan Bissaka, Daniel James, and obviously Bruno Fernandes. The defence got better. It would want to. When you spend $130 million on two defenders, your defence would want to get better. Um, Bruno was obviously a really good addition for them, but he needs to up his game in, in open play because as yet, we haven't seen the full range of Bruno Fernandes in open play. He's been brilliant in set pieces, brilliant from the penalty spot, but we haven't seen it yet in open play. Um, and I don't think cup runs will save Oli. I don't think getting to another semi-final or a quarter-final or a final, even maybe winning a League Cup, I don't think that would save him if the league form doesn't improve. And he, it needs to improve because Arsenal will be better this year. Spurs will be better this year. Leicester, who threw things away, will be looking to rebound. I mean, Leicester should have finished top four last year. Wolves, with no European football to distract them this year, will improve. The battle for top four this year is going to be much tougher than it was last year, where you just sort of fell over the line along with Chelsea. So... I think Oli could find himself in a spot of bother. There's a couple of big names sitting out there, Pochettino and Allegri, both just waiting for a job to fall into their lap. It's hard to see how either could turn down the Manchester United job. It really is hard to see. And for Manchester United, Pochettino or Allegri would represent a significant upgrade, especially Allegri. Look at the success he's had over his career. But Poch might be well-suited given the players that are there, the, the style that has been somewhat introduced by Oli. It's a little bit similar to what Pochettino used at Spurs. The, I mean, United have good players throughout the squad. They don't need a whole lot. Centre-back, holding midfielder, couple of backup forwards that's all they really need but you look at their recruitment and Sancho Grealish I mean they don't they're good Sancho's great Grealish is good but they're not filling positions of need and you wonder is that Ollie or is that somebody else making those decisions because if it's Ollie and he can't recognize the actual weaknesses in his team that is of a concern so he's on my list of people who could be in a spot of bother next season. The next one up is Brendan Rodgers. Leicester had a fantastic first 19 games. And from those first 19 games, they took 39 points. And had they continued on that trajectory... I mean, they would have walked themselves into 
the top four. There would have been 12 points clear of United and Chelsea. But from their last 19 games, they took only 23 points. They had two wins from the last nine games. Two wins from the last nine, nine games. And they missed top four by four points. Coming out of lockdown and back into Project Restart, they had over a 98% likelihood of finishing top four, according to 538.com. Just think about that. Less, less than a 2% chance of finishing outside the top four and over a 98% chance of finishing inside the top four and somehow managed to finish outside. Now, I know they had injuries, and that's fine, but everybody had injuries. I know it was an unusual situation, but it was an unusual situation for everybody. Brendan Rodgers has to take the vast majority of the blame here because after the December 26th game when Liverpool went to the King Power and wiped the floor with Leicester, Leicester just collapsed. They won the next two, and then after that it got really, really ugly. Four wins from the last 17 games. That's unacceptable for a team with that much talent. There's very few clubs that have the talent that Leicester have. Even with losing Chilwell, who they've who they've gotten great money for. He's not a £50 million player by any stretch. They've gotten great money for him. They can reinvest that and get a left-back, potentially one who's better than Chilwell, because though he is a good player, it's not like he's an elite left back. So they could go and get a better left back than him for probably half the money and buy a centre back to partner Sayonchu for the other half. So they could improve two areas of their team without spending any money. But they have so much talent in that squad, be it Madison, Barnes, Helamans, Ndidi, Sayonchu, Ricardo Pereira. You've got a a consistent regular goal scorer in Jamie Vardy. You got Casper Schmeichel, experienced, consistent, reliable goalkeeper. Johnny Evans is a good player. And you go up and down the squad, and there's not many who aren't good players. Jose Perez is a good player. Hamza Chowdhury is a good player. Dennis Pryet's a good player. It's a really, really strong squad that they've got. They need to add more goals. They need to find somebody who can play from the right and, and bring goals to the team. Because Vardy can't be expected to do it all by himself. But I would worry if I was a Leicester fan that if things go wrong, Rodgers won't figure it out. That's just not his thing. If things go wrong, he struggles to, to turn it around. That's why he lost the Liverpool job. Once it went sideways after Suarez was left, he was a dead man walking. And Brendan Rodgers, I think, will find himself um, as a man on the hot seat this season unless Leicester really, really turn things around from their second half of the season. And then number five is Frank Lampard. And that's an obvious one, I think, for everybody, that Lampard is going to be under big, big pressure this season. Um, they're spending huge amounts of money uh, once the Havertz deal goes through, they'll be over the 200 million spend uh, for the year. And at that point, there's only a few clubs have ever spent that type of money in, in one, one transfer window. That will bring immediate demands of a title challenge from Roman. And the thing is, even if they get Havertz, they still have more needs. They need centre-backs. Thiago Silva does not change the fact that their central defensive situation is, is terrible. They need a centre-back, at least one, if not two, and they probably need a goalkeeper. I wonder if you got Kepa behind a real defence and not the clown shows and Chuckle Brothers impersonation groups that have been going on there for the last couple of years. Could he be better? I mean, he wasn't bad 
1819, up until the point where he had the incident at the Carabao Cup final, he actually was was quite decent. Um, since then, he has been atrocious. But so have they. It's not all on him. I mean, Rudiger last season, coming off a year where Chelsea fans were making him out to be the one of the best centre-backs in the league. And now they don't want anything to do with him. They want him sold. You know, Christensen had a really poor year because he was in and out of the team. Didn't seem to have Lampard's trust. Didn't have a regular partner for a long time. Tamori hadn't played in the Premier League before. Now, I thought for the first maybe 10 games, I thought he did really well. Um, then obviously just caught, the league caught up in a little bit. I think he needs a loan. But this talk he'll go to the championship. No, don't do that. Loan him to either a Premier League team or someone in the top flight in Germany, Italy, France, Spain. Don't loan him to the championship again. Get him at the highest level. That's the only way he's going to improve at this point. But Lampard took over from Sarri. Sarri had finished third. And Sarri had won the Europa League. Lampard finished fourth. Took six points less. Conceded 15 more goals. Didn't win a cup. Bottled it in the in the cup final against Arsenal, I felt. Not him, necessarily. The, the, the team. Chelsea were by far the stronger team on the day. And just threw it away. Um... I think Lampard will find himself under major pressure this year. And as I said, I don't think the team is close to finished. I don't think it's even close to being a title contending team with that defence, that goalkeeper. I'm not even sure they've got a midfield pairing that works. Kante and Kovacic, I don't think, works. I think they both need to play with someone more of a Nemanja Matic, Fabinho type of sitter. You look at when Kante arrived there, he'd won the title with Leicester playing with Drinkwater. And Drinkwater's not great by any stretch. But Drinkwater sat and held the midfield and allowed Kante to press and go here, there and everywhere, win the ball back and do what makes him great. He went to Chelsea. Kante tried to play Kante as the holding midfielder and it didn't work. So when he brought Matic back into the team, then it worked. Kante and Matic were great together. Matic would sit, hold run the game from the, the deepest position and Kante would go and win the ball back and be that destroyer and carry the ball and be a driving force in their attack. That's Kovacic's job as well. They both want to do the same thing, as does Ross Barkley, as does Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Now, Loftus-Cheek's more of an attacking midfielder, but if he's playing in a two, that's what he'll want to do. Um, the only one they have who's a real sitter now is Jorginho, but um, defensively he's not anywhere near up to the task. Kante is obviously older and slower now with the injuries that he's had. So I think there's questions over their central midfield area. There's questions over their defence. Big questions in goal. There's also questions in attack. And if they play a 4-2-3-1, you'd imagine they'll go Zayic on the right, Havertz as the 10, Pulisic off the left and then Timo Werner up front but that's a lot of change from what you had last year you're expecting three players who've never played in England before to immediately adapt and show their best form that's possible that they will you're also expecting Timo Werner to play in a system that he doesn't know very well in a role that he doesn't know very well He's mostly played either in a two or on the left of a three or in the center of a three for um, for Leipzig. Those three roles were his roles at Leipzig. In a two, left of a three, center of a three. Playing up front on your own is very, very different. And that's something he'll have to adapt to. So you've got a lot of betting in up front and in questions everywhere else. I think Lampard will find himself in trouble because I think Roman will expect a title challenge and I don't think he's given Frank the squad to do that. Not yet, anyway. And even if he does, it's still going to take a full year for everything to bed in, 
everybody to find their rhythm, their role. Frank to get a, a better grasp on how to set his defence up. Roman doesn't play around. Roman doesn't wait. And it's not like Frank Lampard was a big get for Chelsea. He got the job because no one else wanted it at the time with the transfer ban and nobody else. Uh, sorry, and, and Chelsea wanted to bring somebody in because they wanted Sarri gone. So, uh, I don't know. I, I think I think Frank is going to find himself in trouble. And, and look, I know people will push back on the argument that he took them backwards last year, but he did. He took them backwards. There's no question about it. And you can argue about, oh, well, Hazard left and they couldn't replace him. They did replace him. Pulisic was the replacement. He was always the replacement. That's why they went and bought him when they did. Pulisic was the one they'd identified as the replacement. He also got Mason Mount back, Tammy Abraham back, and Tamori back that Sarri didn't have in his squad. And Mason Mount and Tammy Abraham are two of the main reasons they managed to even get top four. So he had, I would argue, a stronger squad than Sarri had the year before. Hazard is great, but I'd rather have those three, Mount, Pulisic and, and Tammy, than just one guy that I'm relying on. So I don't buy that at all. I think Frank took them backwards last year. Not his fault. Not his fault at all. I do think he did a good job, but his good job was not regressing them even further. I think that's what the argument is, that you know they were expected maybe to drop to sixth, and Frank only dropped them to fourth. So they regressed to point X, but not to point Y. That's why Frank did a good job. It's not like he was some revolutionary manager who did wonderful things. He did an okay, good, a good to okay job, um, but nothing to be overly excited about, in my view. Now, other people will disagree, and that's absolutely fine. But I think Roman spending this money will expect a big, big return. And if Frank doesn't deliver, I think he'll be out the door. The two managers I named earlier on, Pochettino and Allegri, for United, will be just as, just as um, appetizing to Chelsea, who demands success. Chelsea demands success. That's what Roman does. Roman doesn't play. You either win or you're out the door. That's how he operates. Right, we'll wrap up with some gossip from the uh, the BBC gossip page. Um, the Times are reporting that Argentina forward Lionel Messi contacted Pep Guardiola last, year, uh, last week to tell him he wants to leave Barcelona. The Manchester Evening News are reporting that um, United, oh, sorry, City, will be willing to use Eric Garcia and Angelino as make-weights in a deal for Messi if they cannot sign him on a free. And then Sport from Spain uh, are reporting that Manchester City are preparing to offer Barcelona 89.5 million plus Garcia, plus Bernardo Silva, plus Gabi Jesus for Messi. So let's take these individually. It wouldn't surprise me if he called Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola is his mentor. Pep Guardiola helped shape the career of Lionel Messi. So that's not surprising at all. Even if he wasn't interested in going to Manchester City, I, I think he would be ringing Pep. Even if Pep wasn't the manager at City, I think he'd be ringing Pep. Um, Eric Garcia and Angelino doesn't move the needle for Barcelona, so that's just a nonsense story that the Manchester Evening News have made up. And the other one then, I, I think it's a little bit too much. I mean... Realistically, that's you're talking two hundred million there. Garcia is probably worth fifteen million with a year left on his deal. Silva's easily a sixty million player, and Gabi Jesus is probably worth somewhere in the region of forty-five million. So I, I just don't see that that's something that's going to be real. Uh, I could see it being maybe Garcia, Bernardo, and fifty million. That's a deal I could see happening, um, but I, I don't see that they'll go to to ninety million or thereabouts, and add Gabi Jesus to it. Real Madrid are set to demand more than €20 million Euros for 23-year-old Spanish left-back Sergio Regulon, who has attracted interest from Manchester United, Tottenham, Juventus, and Inter Milan while on loan at Sevilla. And rightly so, when Chelsea are paying €50 million for 23-year-old Ben Chilwell, who's not as good as Sergio Regulon, Real Madrid should be demanding 
at least 20 million euros. Now, allegedly that 20 million euros will include a buyback clause, but Real being Real and in the financial situation they're in, they might accept something around the region of 30 million pounds with no buyback clause. And if a Premier League club, uh, Leicester, looking at you, sons, if you can do that, that's a deal you should do. Um, he'd be a really, really good addition to the Premier League. Chelsea are finishing, uh, sorry, Chelsea are, are putting the finishing touches to a £90 million move for 21-year-old Germany and Bayer Leverkusen forward Kai Havertz. This is from The Guardian. I would imagine this emanates from somebody who says, here we go, and total agreement. And Rudy Fuller has come out and said this is absolute garbage, that there's no truth to it at all. So he doesn't have a fancy catchphrase. He's just the director of football at, um, at Bayer Leverkusen. So I'm not sure who to believe here. Arsenal are prepared to sell right back Hector Bellerin to Juventus with manager Andrea Pirlo making the 25-year-old his top priority. I would have doubts that he's the top priority, but if Arsenal can get, can get good money from they probably should sell him. Uh, he's, a, he's a good player going forward, but he's always been more of a wing-back than a full-back. And if they do want to play a back forward, they probably need to upgrade there. Um, so no harm to move him on and go and get yourself a good right-back to complete what would then be a very exciting young defence with Saliba, Gabriel and Kieran Tierney. Uh, Portugal forward Cristiano Ronaldo has settled any speculation about his future by saying he's preparing for a third season. With Juventus, I would imagine the fact that Juventus would probably ask for somewhere in the region of £100 million for him. Like, who's going to pay £100 million for a 35-year-old Ronaldo? was bad enough when Juventus paid it for a 33-year-old Ronaldo. But at 35, nobody's going to pay the mega bucks for him. He's also on insane money at Juventus. And it's other than PSG, who probably have their eyes on somebody else. And don't actually need him at all, because they have Neymar, who plays in his position on the left of the front three. They Even thinking about moving him into the centre of the front three, they have a Cardi. They also have Mbappe who could play there, so they don't have any need for Cristiano. So there's nobody, there's nowhere for him to go. Um, Manchester United aren't going to sign off on that kind of deal, so there's nowhere for him to go. France forward Antoine Griezmann had decided to leave Barcelona before new coach Ronald Koeman convinced the 29-year-old to make a U-turn. This is just the type of stuff that comes out to prove that a new manager is um is having an effect uh, Griezmann wasn't going to leave Barcelona he pushed and pushed and pushed to go there for years he wasn't going to push to leave um but the Barcelona president is keen to swap Griezmann for Joe Felix I would imagine you can hear the laughter all the way from Madrid while sitting in a cafe in Barcelona over that nonsense the arrival of 28 year old Republic of Ireland fullback Matt Doherty at Tottenham from Wolves could pave the way for Ivory Coast defender Serge Aurier to leave. I think that is what's happening anyway. He's been allegedly in talks with AC Milan for at least a month now at this point. So that's what's happening. Aurier is going and Doherty's coming in. Manchester United have made an approach to sign Sandro Tonali. Uh, I would suggest they haven't. Um, I'm not sure they would even know who he is. Their scouting department seems very, very limited. Uh, to English players or players that they've seen on YouTube. Um, Leicester are looking at Nicholas Tagliafico and Atalanta left-back Robin Gosens. Gosens is a wing-back. That's not a good fit. Um, Tagliafico, yeah, fine, but Regulon would be a better fit. Leeds are set to make a bid for Lazio's 23-year-old centre-back Luis Felipe. He's really, really good. He's not... He's not really used to playing in a back four, though, so that could be an interesting one. Lazio play a back three, and he's been great for them, but I, I, it would take a little bit of time for him to make the adjustment. I do like him. I do think he's really good. If the price is anywhere from 22 to 25 million, that's probably good business. Um, yeah, Leeds are making moves. Rodrigo, him, they're, they're being ambitious. It's good to see. Good to see them backing Bielsa. 
Uh, I don't think they'll have a choice, though, because he'll walk if they don't. Newcastle have joined the list of sides interested in Rian Brewster. I've said before, I think this would be a, a really good move for Brewster, a really good move for Newcastle. Him and Jolington is a pairing that I think will work. Uh, Wolves are interested in Athletic Bilbao and Spain centre-back Unai Nunes. Uh, no. No. Please, no. He's too good. Um, it'd be a great signing for them. Would be a great signing for them. He's a tremendous centre-back. Uh, representatives of Norwegian defender Christopher Ayer and French midfielder Oliver Nitchum have asked Celtic for valuations before potential moves away. They will be two big losses for Celtic, especially Nitchum, who is kind of the only creative midfielder that they have. Um, it's It's quite a turgid squad at the moment at Celtic in terms of the style of play. If those two and Edouard leave, um, the the race for 10 in a row is over. Rangers will win the league. Celtic will need to do big, big business to to replace these three guys. And then finally, Watford captain Troy Deeney has been offered to West Brom. I always wonder how that happens. Does somebody just ring up and say, Hi, we're calling from Watford. Would you like Troy Deeney? We've got a monthly payment plan. Troy Dean is a good player. He deserves to be in the Premier League. Uh, he'll be a good squad player for a Premier League team. Just don't expect him to start every game. That's it. That is me. Friday show wrapped up. It's a little bit long. I apologize for that. I had planned to be a little bit shorter today. But as it's me, I got carried away with tangents and that. You should know by now, if you're a long-time Anfield uh, Index listener, that this is what happens. There's nobody to rein me in, you see. It's just me by myself. So. It's difficult. Uh, thank you, as always, to producer Guy. Thank you to you for listening. Uh, I hope you'll be back with me next week. Once again, we'll be back on Monday to talk about whatever's the big news, whatever's going on. Take care of yourself. Have a good weekend. See you Monday. Podcast Network.